All right, good morning, CFC. Hey, my name is Ryan Jorgensen, associate pastor of the church. In case you don't know who I am, which means you're new, which means we're really excited that you're here at our church, and we want you to feel welcome that way. Uh, well, I don't know about you, but I'm excited as I'm hearing about Mission Combat. I actually happen to be helping plan it, so I know a lot more about it than maybe you do, but I am really excited for the conference, and I want to encourage everyone to come out for every part of it, Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. Now, with that, though, with the conference, um, yeah, I don't know about you, but it's not just enough to say something, but Jesus says we need to not just be hearers, but also what? Doers of the word. We want to engage. Well, guess what we have in our bulletins? We have an engage card about missions. And, and missions, to define that really quick, means that we are trying to bring the gospel cross-culturally outside of the American context. Uh, and of course, that includes going around the world. But the Lord has called us all to be a part of it, to engage in various ways. And if you look on the, the, this side of it, you can see all sorts of ways through this church that we can actually be engaged in missions. Everything from learning more about it, prayer opportunities, giving opportunities like the offering we're going to be taking, as we just mentioned, as well as others, and of course, going. And so here's what we just want us to do. We're handing these out two weeks before the conference. Why? Because what we're asking you to do between you and the Lord, maybe you and your spouse, you and your kids, even pull them together. And say, Lord, how in 2019 do you want us to be more involved, more engaged in missions in any of these ways possibly than we're currently doing right now? Some of you might already be given to missions in, in different ways and this and that and going and this and that. That's awesome. But like we're looking for, Lord, is there something new, different that we're not currently doing that we are going to commit to do or at least be interested in doing in 2019? And then here's what we're asking to do. Two weeks from now, during that conference on the Sunday services, we're going to be taking that special offering that the video just talked about. If you want to give to that, but also we're asking that everybody pray through this, fill it out, bring it back, and we're going to turn it in and give it to the Lord and make a commitment to the Lord to do, you know, one, two, three, five things, whatever it is that God lays on our heart. Does it make sense? So commit this to prayer, bring it back on the 24th. Don't worry, we'll have more copies for you that day too, just in case you forget yours, okay? All right, so with that said, I don't know about you, but I am stoked to get into the scriptures today. And so would you open your Bibles with me in the Gospel of John? We're in chapter four. We're in chapter four. We're gonna be jumping into verse 20. And if you're new to the church, you might not know this, but we've been asking the Lord for an audacious request through prayer. God, would you bring 110 or more people to a saving relationship with you through the life of this church in 2019? This is our prayer. And I don't know about you, but I am excited to be able to last week, just here in the services alone, to be able to see people make that decision to follow Christ. And so let's commit them to prayer and the Lord will grow their roots deep in the Lord. And let's continue to pray for God to bring salvation to more. Now, if you've been around Christianity any length of time and study the Bible, we know that salvation is a work of the Lord. Amen to that. But we also know God has invited us to be a part of that process, hasn't he? He's called us to be his messengers, his evangelists, to take the message to people. That is why we're going to analyzing this gospel conversation in John 4 that Jesus had with the woman at the well, because Jesus is our perfect model of an evangelist. And we were saying, okay, Jesus, show us, teach us, how do we have these gospel conversations? So if you have been around 
or let's say this, if you haven't been around, you have, you've missed the sermon series so far, I encourage you to get on our website and listen. Pastor Doug has been doing an amazing job bringing out all sorts of pointers for us in these gospel conversations. But if you have been around and maybe you're more like me and I need to hear things more than once to actually get it down into my life, and all the husbands humbly say amen to that, we need it more than once, okay, that uh, I encourage you to get on the website and just keep listening to these things. Today, we're going to dissect a certain section of this conversation, but let me say this. Any good surgeon knows that how you perform a successful surgery has just as much to do with the preparation as the surgery itself. Right? So imagine if you're going in for surgery and you're on the table and they're about to put you under and your surgeon happens to be in the room. And you say, hey, surgeon, I'm glad you're here. I bet you feel prepared for this one. And the surgeon just starts laughing at you. Are you kidding me? We never prepare for these things. We just go with the flow. Okay, count down backwards, 10, 9. You know, I mean, that would freak you out as you're going under. Why? Because like preparation is just as important as the task for a lot of things in life. The saying goes that if you know, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail, right? And so the same thing applies to this. The question we're asking is how do we respond to people once we've shared the gospel with them and they're asking us questions, they have objections? Well, honestly, to, to know how to respond, there's actually some preparation that we need to do ahead of time if we're going to do that well. And, and so with that said, here's, there's at least three actions. I can think of things that we see Jesus do. We got to prepare beforehand if we're going to best respond after. Here's the first one. We need to start with our hearts. It starts with our hearts. We got to have the right heart and attitude when we go into these gospel conversations with people. I know Pastor Doug has said this already throughout the series in different ways, but I'll say this. One, it is that important that we got to keep saying it. Two, for me, it's one of the hardest things to actually apply to my life, to have the right heart when I'm talking to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God cares just as much about how we share the gospel as he does with what we say in the gospel. I'm gonna say that one more time. God cares just as much about how we share the gospel as he does with what the gospel message is in and of itself. For instance, uh, Colossians 4, 6, listen to this. It says, let your speech always be with what? Let's try that again. Let your speech always be with grace. grace. You hear that? Grace. As though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. God is saying our speech and our heart and everything, of course, where the speech is where the heart comes from, it needs to be gracious. You see that? Here's another one, 1 Peter 3, 15. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. That's a really long way of saying to answer people's questions when you're sharing the gospel, yet with gentleness and reverence. Another translation would say with respect. The right heart is to be gracious, loving, respectful, and gentle when we are having these conversations. This is what uh, Jesus had. He's our model. In fact, listen to what the Apostle John wrote about Jesus in John 1.17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. It was such a, a mark of his life, Jesus, of being gracious and loving, that John summarized his life in that verse that way. He's our model. And so it's not just enough to 
to want to win an argument. See, truth should be defended. Do you know that, right? Like there is an argument we're trying to, to, to win, but it's just also about winning people to Christ. I'm going to say that again. It's not just about winning an argument. It's also about winning people to Christ. And so we need to have the right kind of heart. So here's, here's the test. Ask yourself this question. Whether you're preparing and studying for future gospel conversations, whether you're in the middle of a gospel conversation, whether you're responding to people's questions after you've shared the gospel, ask yourself why. Why am I doing this right now? Am I doing this because I'm trying to make myself look good in the eyes of other people? Am I doing this because I just want to win an argument and I got to be right? Am I doing this for any other reason? There's only one right reason on that, and that is this love. I'm doing this because I love the Lord and he's called me to do this. And I'm doing this because I love this person genuinely. And my heart breaks for them. And I want them to experience the freedom and the love of Jesus Christ, just like I've experienced. And so out of love, with that heart, that is what the Lord is calling us to do. There's an amazing story about a guy who used to be a Mormon. And he was going uh, door by door, and eventually he came by a Baptist church, and he said, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to convert the Baptist pastor to Mormonism. And so he goes in there, he, they lay out the message of Mormonism. I want you to listen to his own words of that event, specifically about the heart of the pastor that he saw. Check this out. And he just kind of looked at us, and he, and he said, okay. And as we finished, I'm, I'm just thinking, all right, you know, we, we, we've borne testimony. We've given him the truth. There's no way that he can deny this. He's going to, you know, he's going to confess right here. He's going to, you know, confess and be baptized. And that's really what was going on in my heart. I'm, you know, I just had all these mixed emotions. And he, and, you know, as we finished, he, he just looked me in the eye, and he said, you know, I appreciate what you've told me, but it's wrong. <laughs> And my heart just, you know, it just sunk so deep. And at that point, I just wanted to just shut up. You know, I just wanted to shut down. I didn't want to hear anything he had to say because I knew that I wasn't going to like what he was going to have to say after that. And um, he, he started to teach us. And, and he did it in a way that was so loving. And he did it in a way, you know, that was so sincere that, that it kind of it forced me to open up my heart even a little bit. Even though I didn't, I didn't want to, it was just the way that he, the way he approached it. You know, I could tell that he had this sincere desire to help us. And um, he opened up the Bible, and, and he just started to read from the words of, of Jesus and his apostles what the true gospel really was. Did you guys hear what the pastor said? He said, thank you for sharing that, but you're what? You're wrong he straight up came and said that. He said, you're wrong. See, loving people is not to say, okay, you believe what you want to believe, and that's okay. No, truth, giving the truth is love. So he gave the truth, but he did it in a way of love, that God used the truth and the manner in the heart, and this guy today came to know Christ and is being used of the Lord to specifically evangelize Mormons out of that. Guys, let's be praying all the time. Lord, help my heart. Check my heart for love for people that I'm sharing before we even get into these conversations. There's a second thing we want to prepare beforehand so we can best respond after. And here we're going to get into the text. We're going to get into the text. Look at verse 20. So the context, Jesus has told this woman that, um, that basically brought out her sinful lifestyle. 
And in uh, look at verse 20, this is what she says. She says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And what she's talking about, she's standing there in Samaria. She's looking at Mount Gerizim, which is in Samaria. And she's saying, our fathers, the Samaritans say, this is where we go worshiping your right with God. And then she says, and you people, talking about Jesus and the Jews, he's a Jew, right? You, the Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her in verse 21, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And if you read from there, the, the, the rest of the passage through verse 26, he goes into talking about um, the location doesn't matter anymore because of what I'm going to do in the death and resurrection. And now that you can find God anywhere and all of this. And he does all of that. And we're going to be touching on that in a little bit here. But what we want to analyze is even just the first couple things that come out of his mouth. And we see a second action that we want to be doing ahead of time that's going to help us respond. And it's this. We need to know the truth. We need to know the truth and where do we get the truth from, Christians? The Bible. That was, that was the easy one. I was trying to hand that to you, right? Now you get that from the Bible, the scriptures. We need to know the truth. Again, 1 Peter 3.15, always being ready, which is also be prepared in a lot of translations, to, to make a defense to everyone who asks you for it, to give an account for the hope that is in you. And, and it says that we need to be prepared. We need to know the scriptures. It's a simple concept, but how can I respond to people's questions about the truth if I don't know the truth that well, right? I mean, it's kind of common sense. Uh, how can a Fortnite player answer a question about Fortnite unless they've played a lot of Fortnite? And right now, some of your parents are saying, yeah, can we talk about that? I think my kids play too much of that. That's a different sermon for another day, okay? Uh, but the point is that anything in life when someone is asking a question about it, if we don't know it that well, we're not going to be that helpful, are we? And so we need to commit ourselves to knowing the scripture. So, for instance, this is clearly what Jesus did. So again, in verse 20, he, uh, the woman asked this question about f her fathers and they worship in this mountain. And, and you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. And Jesus, he doesn't say like, ma'am, I'm sorry, I don't know much about my beliefs in Judaism. I, I can't really answer your question. I mean, we assume this stuff about Jesus, don't we? Jesus clearly answers with a knowledge about the scriptures, doesn't he? He speaks into her question and her statement with the truth. Now, here's the deeper question. How did Jesus know the truth so well? I mean, he knew the scriptures inside and out. How did he know the scriptures? And at this point, here's my guess. In a room full of people, especially those of us maybe grown up in church or been in church a long time, Maybe we're thinking that we would say this. Well, the reason he's able to know the truth so much is because he is the truth, right? He, he speaks and it's scripture. He is the scripture, right? In, in walking in flesh. In other words, he is God. And we pull out the God card on Jesus, don't we? And we say, he's God. That's how he knows the truth inside and out. But then, but then some of us might go farther. We might say, oh, okay, that's right. So he's God, he's omniscient, he knows everything, he knows all scripture. And so I can't really be just like him in gospel conversations. I'm not going to be able to know the scriptures like him. And, and so this is just one of those things that it's just he does it because he's God, not me. Now, you're right on two points on that. One, Jesus is God. Can I get an amen in Orthodox Christian Church this morning on that? Amen. Jesus is God. 
amen to that, amen and amen, right? The other thing we're right on is you're not God. Just tell the person next to you you came to church with and say, you're awesome, but you're not God. Just go and do it. It's healthy. It's a healthy dose of humility to hear that, right? Okay, and so that's true. But where, where we fall short, though, is when we say that Jesus is over here and we can't do this, okay? Because what we know from passages like Philippians chapter 2 and other places is not only was he God, but he was also became a man. And when he left heaven to earth into our messed up world that we have to save us, he chose to lay down certain abilities as being God and set them aside to become like us. And guess what? One of those abilities he laid aside to become like us, his omniscience. He chose to block out however that works. You get in the mind of God, good luck, okay? But he truly did. He laid omniscience aside and became like us as, ones who need, as one who needed to learn things, including learn the Bible. You're like, prove it to me. Okay, Luke chapter two, verse 52. This is what Luke says. He says, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom. Here's a question. How can someone increase in wisdom if they already have all wisdom? And in fact, before this, you also learned Jesus, when he was 12, goes to the temple and he was asking questions and he was learning in the temple. You see, guys, Jesus had to learn the scriptures just like you and I need to. And he devoted himself to it before he even got into these conversations. He's our supreme example that we need to be doing the same thing. Now, I don't know about you, but the Bible's kind of a thick book. I don't know if you know that. And uh, maybe you're just on the device and you haven't seen a physical one. That's kind of the day and age we are in, which is fine. But it's a big book. And so right now, maybe you're like, okay, I need to know the truth. I'm a new believer or whatever that is. Where do I start? And I just encourage you to do this. Start with the gospel message itself. We've been saying this. The person and work of Jesus Christ and salvation is a free gift, not by works. And just learn that, study that, get to know the gospel. That's the core now, some of us might be saying, okay, I think I got the gospel down pretty well. I guess I don't need to know the truth anymore. I don't need to keep studying and learning. Again, the Bible's a thick book. <laughs> There's a lot in there about the gospel and about a lot of other things that are important for our lives. And so basically for us as Christians, this idea of knowing the truth and learning it, it's a li- we're lifelong learners about this. We basically just keep studying, memorizing, literally, until Jesus takes us home. And so this is how we can prepare to respond to people's questions. We need to know the truth and be studying it. Now, here's the third thing to prepare before we even get into the conversation is that we need to understand others' beliefs. We need to understand the beliefs of other people. Jesus didn't just spend time studying and knowing the scriptures and writing them on his heart and memory. He also clearly learned her beliefs, Samaritan's beliefs. It was able to speak into them. So again, the question that the woman asked in verse 20 about our fathers worshiped in this mountain and uh, you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. I mean, look at your Bible, look at verse 21. Look what he says. Jesus says to her, woman, I have no idea what you Samaritans believe. Let me just tell you what true worship is. That's all I wanna tell you. That's not what your Bible says, is it? No, he answers 
where he clearly understands and knows what she and the Samaritans believe, which means he not only knew the truth of the scriptures, but he also knew what Samaritans believed, and he was able to actually best help her and respond to her questions. So much so that by the time you look at what he says in verse 22, he says this to her. He says, you, talking about her and Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. Here's the thing. How can Jesus tell her what she doesn't know if he doesn't know what she knows? He clearly has studied and understands Samaritan beliefs. We need to do the same thing. We need to spend time understanding other people's beliefs. And at this point, I want to introduce to you a verse that in the last three, four years has radically changed my life as I've been applying it. And that says a lot for a kid that's grown up in the church and got a, all these degrees and pastor and all this kind of stuff. This verse has changed my life. And I know if it can change my life, it could definitely change everybody's life. And it's this, Proverbs 26, verse five, it says this, answer a fool as his folly deserves that he not be wise in his own eyes. Here's the first thing what God is saying. Answer a fool as his folly deserves. We need to know the folly the wrong beliefs that they believe. You see that there? Now, let me make a clear, clear point in the American culture. Usually when you hear fool and folly, it's a personal attack. We're demeaning someone, calling them stupid. This is not the language of the, of the biblical text. Instead, this is what God is saying. There is absolute truth and anything else up next to it is foolishness. It's just not right. It's, it's wrong. That's what God is saying. But he's saying to us here is that we need to know the folly, the wrong beliefs to speak into them or we're not gonna be able to really help them. So let me illustrate it. So let's say that uh, some Mormons come to my door and I tell them about the gospel and I tell them about Jesus as savior and I get done and they go, oh, you know what? That's great. Jesus is our savior too. And I just go, oh, I'm not really sure why my church and my pastors are telling me you guys all, you know, are out, out of, not on the same team and why I need to share the gospel with you. I guess, okay, we're, we're brothers, great. That would be horrible. Why? Because I didn't know, for instance, that yes, they have a Jesus, but he's a completely different Jesus than the real Jesus. Their Jesus is a creature, a created Jesus who is a man. And the Bible says all men have sinned. And therefore, if he has sinned, then he has fallen short. He does not satisfy the wrath of God. Therefore, my sins are not going to be forgiven. Therefore, I'm going to hell. And everybody else is. That's the Jesus of Mormonism. The real biblical Jesus is the God-man Jesus who then lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead. And now we actually can have our sins forgiven because he satisfies the wrath of God. Do you see the world of a difference between the Jesuses, between the two? If I didn't know, though, the Mormon beliefs about Jesus, I wouldn't be able to really help them. Do you see, guys? We've got to enter into their worldview and learn it to help them. For instance, Paul, remember when he showed up in Athens and there's all these different worldviews, all these gods, what's he do? He walks around and he reads and he studies and then he speaks with the truth into their worldview. This is something that God wants us to do. It's important. There's some people in our church, they have special callings to work with Muslims, whether here in Jacksonville or around the world. And I kind of did this little bit of a test to see what they would say in regards to this point. And I said, 
I said, what if someone came to you and they said, you know what, I don't want to learn Islam. I just, I'm just gonna go live among Muslims and just live the gospel in front of them and tell them the truth and stuff. And, 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 the, and the person said, well, I love their heart, they wanna help, but I'd really question, why are you not studying Islam? To actually speak into what they believe and then show them the truth to help them out of it. You see, it's important for us to study. And so in my life, I grew up this way in the church. You need to know the scriptures. You need to memorize the scriptures. You got to know the scriptures and the truth. Amen. That's true. And I did it. But it wasn't until the last five to 10 years of my life that I began to realize this point. If I'm really going to be able to help people, I need to learn their worldviews. And I would say probably half of my overall study time now is not just learning the scriptures, and we have to do that. You start there but learning the beliefs of those that are in my life that I'm trying to see come to know Christ. So here's the question. I want you to think about an unbeliever in your life right now. Think about a neighbor or a a friend at school, family member, okay? What's the foolishness they believe, the wrong belief system that they have, okay? You got one person in your mind and their belief system. Now here's the question. How much time have you personally spent studying their worldview, actually learning their worldview in addition to the scriptures and the truth. And I have a feeling there might be some ouches being said right now in some of our souls. Because again, this is something the Lord had to convict me a number of years ago. Ryan, if you're really gonna help people, you gotta get into their worldview too and you gotta learn it and you gotta know it just like Jesus did, just like Paul did, we gotta do it. And so I encourage you to do that. Now, let me say this, the last two points, right? We need to know the truth and we need to know the worldviews of other people. I don't wanna just say that and maybe have some of us say, oh man, I feel convicted, uh, and that's it. I wanna help you, right? So in our church, we have a plethora of ways for us to keep learning the truth and the worldviews of other people. This is our website. This is the adult equipping classes. This is all the classes that are out there throughout the week on various subjects and whatever. The scriptures are always clearly in those. Some of these classes will talk about other worldviews and beliefs, and you can learn about those as well. We've also got these adult fellowship classes. We've got family groups. We've got life on life groups. I mean, we have so many opportunities. We got them for the youth, the senior high, the junior high. They got Sunday morning at 930 right now. They've got, you know, I know the junior high right now, they are specifically doing a study on how to share the faith with your friends. Like right now, as we speak, there's an adult class coming up starting March. That's going to be on how to share the gospel called bless. We have so many opportunities to do this. I loved it. After first service, I had a, uh, I think I'm going to guess sixth grader, I think girl. She goes, I have a question for you. Where do we learn this stuff at? And of course, I mentioned these things, but she wanted to learn even specifically more about the beliefs of other people. And so as I hear that, and I talk to someone else after a service as well, and this and that, like, just know we're going to come up with a class that'll be offered soon on the world beliefs of others, okay? And, and, and things, we're going to offer that, so look for that to happen. But here's the thing, you don't have to wait for the church to do it. We have this amazing thing called the World Wide Web. Now, you got to be careful, Okay, <laughs> but there are so many great resources on there. Find solid ones, email me later, I'll, I'll direct you to certain ones. We actually have a lot of resources more on the website, but here's the point. Let's dive in and commit ourselves ahead of time. Know the truth, know the beliefs of others, get our heart in the right place. All right, once we share the gospel, what do we do? 
when they ask that question, when they ask that objection, what do we do? We need to address any core fallacies in their worldview, in what they say. We need to address any core fallacies. Now, what does that mean? We're going to go back to that verse, like I said, that has literally changed my life, Proverbs 26.5. And, and it, says, it says this, answer a fool, what? As his folly deserves. Well, what does that mean? And, and, and the idea that, that he not be wise in his own eyes. Here's what God is saying. And I want you to hear me on this and, and get your mind. I hope you got a lot of caffeine in you and you're praying. You got the Holy Spirit helping you because this is a new paradigm shift for a lot of people within the American church that I have found. Not only does God want us to learn the beliefs of the others, take the truth to it and expose why it's wrong. Most of us can get that, Right? Here's what God is saying here. You also go into the world belief and you take their own foolishness of those beliefs and show that their own worldview cannot stand on its own. In other words, you shoot holes in love. Everybody say in love. Very important. In love, you shoot holes using their own worldview. So what do I mean by that? Remember when Jesus said, that if anybody builds their life on any of the truth other than the truth that I, the things that I say, it's like building your house on a what? On sand, right? On sand. And uh, my family, we go out to Michaelers Beach once in a while. We were out there. There was this professional uh, sand sculpture out there one day. It was awesome. And I'm, of course, trying to keep my, you know, eight-year-old off of it and all this. But anyway, um, and so we're there. Well, come back a week later, you would have never known it was there because it had rained that week. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what God is saying, is that the beliefs that, that, that are anything other than the absolute truth of Christianity is like foolishness, and it in and of itself, it can't stand on its own. And God is saying to enter into the worldview and in love, tear down their world belief to set them up so that you can help them with the gospel. Let me say it this way. If somebody thinks that their worldview is fine and it's not Christianity, they're not gonna wanna receive the exclusive gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where you get the comments like, oh, that's, I'm happy for you. What they're saying is, I, my worldview is just fine and I'm trusting in whatever my thing is that I have contrary to the gospel. And so what we are doing is we are trying in love with their own worldview to sow seeds of doubt that are right seeds of doubt to get them to question their own worldview so that they might actually want to receive the gospel. Why are we talking about this? Because this is where the American church needs to more and more get into. It's not just enough, I wanna hear, hear me on this, to know the truth of the scriptures and be able to share them with others. It is necessary, and we need to start there, but we also need to take these brains God has given us, these gifts, and study the other worldviews and learn about the holes in those worldviews and help tear them down in love to then present the truth. You say, why? Why are you kind of really camping on this? Because here's why. There's an article in, young Christ, uh, young, in, in Fox News called Young Christians Are Leaving the Church, and here's why. When asked why these young, Christi these young non-Christians now, former Christians, 
Why they didn't believe, many said their views about God had evolved and some reported having a crisis of faith and their specific explanations included the following statements. It's because I was learning about evolution when I went away to college. Uh, as you learn that religion, I, I think religion is an opiate for uh, the people. Uh, rational thought makes religion go out the window. Uh, lack of any sort of scientific or, or specific evidence of a creator are reasons why they're saying they no longer believe in Christianity. Because here's what's going on is that, especially when they go off to college, but even with the internet these days and, and media and everything, is that we are being bombarded with a materialistic, atheistic worldview. It's a religion in and of itself, right? And the problem is, is as a church, we're saying, here's the truth, just believe it. But we're not actually addressing that worldview. And we're not entering into that worldview and in love tearing it down, showing the holes that already exist in it to them, them, for them to be able to say, oh, that's not fact like they're telling me at school as much as they think it is, right? And, and I have now reason to actually think maybe Christianity is the truth, you see? And so, for instance, this is, I, I want to be careful how I say this. Uh, there are books written about this. There are sermons all about this. And it's this idea. Well, when you look at Matthew, all he did was invite his friends over, and then they had Jesus there, and then that's, my, that's in my evangelism. I just invite people to church. That's my thing. Uh, when I see the blind man, he gets healed, and then he gets questioned about it later, and, and, he, and he tells him, what's he tell him? All I know is I was blind, and now I can see, and that guy did it. That's my evangelism. I just invite people to come and see, and that's all I'm going to do. And you press fast forward years of being a Christian, decades of being a Christian. And here's the problem. All of that is true, it's right, but that's if you're a brand new believer. That's all you know, that's what you do. And we always invite, I'm always inviting people to the church because I know the gospel is gonna be here. But loved ones, we have been told to be prepared to answer everyone, which means we need to know the world beliefs of everybody else. We need to be like Paul. We need to be like Jesus. We need to do the hard work to study these things. We need to learn about materialism and atheism and all of this. If we're actually gonna speak into what our kids are being told, they need to know these things and, and we need to hear it here in the church. And so in love, I just say this, please don't cop out of doing the hard work We've all been called to do to learn these things. I, I, you know, when I prepared the sermon, I thought, man, this is hard stuff. This isn't easy. You don't come to know a Christian and just know how to do this. It just doesn't work that way. But have we been called to do it? Absolutely. And so I challenge us and encourage us to hang with me intellectually right now on this and, and understand what it means to enter into the worldview. So look at this verse 20, okay? The woman asked him, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. You people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So here's, here's what she's responding. Again, she believes that the, as the Samaritan prophets say, you worship on Mount Gerizim, but I know you Jews believe that over there, it's a different place. What's awesome going on in her mind is she's starting to question which voice to listen to. Do I listen to the Samaritan prophets or do I listen to the Jewish ones? Because they both can't be right. Which ones do I listen to? And, and Jesus then goes right into it. In verse 22, he responds. He says, you, Samaritans, worship what you do not know. We, the Jews, worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. In other words, he's saying in love, just like that pastor said to the Mormon, hey, I love you, but like you guys are wrong. 
I mean, you're not just wrong about the location of where to get right with God and what mountain. You're wrong with the voices that you're listening to. The Samaritan prophets are not the prophets of God. The Samaritan prophets are not the ones that give salvation, for salvation comes from the who? The Jews. He's saying the voice of truth is the Jewish prophets. Now, why does he say that? Why doesn't he just say, hey, woman, just, just believe in me and you'll be saved. Can we move on? Like, why does he enter into this? Listen, it's because of this. He knew this was a barrier to her receiving the gospel, that if she wasn't willing to listen to the Jewish prophets, she wasn't gonna receive his words. Why? Because he's a Jewish prophet. And so he had to enter into her worldview and to basically straight up just say, that that's the wrong truth. Here's the truth. Listen to this, because that's the only way to help her. Again, she's gotta see the problem with her worldview to accept a new one. So I want to illustrate this. And again, I encourage you. I just got into thinking this way only a few years ago. And it is a lot of hard work and study. But I'm just going to whet the appetite this morning. And, I'm going to get, and I want to give you resources and whatever through the life of this church to learn this stuff more. But let me give an example of how to enter into the worldview, tear it down by their own worldview, and then give them the gospel. So I, I, I interviewed a number of people in the church. I said, what are the top objections that you hear people say after you share the gospel? And the, the number one most common objection dealt with this core fallacy is that people are claiming a a superior source of truth versus the source of truth of Christianity. Now, help me out, CFC. Where does our source of of truth come from? In the pages of the Bible. And so the comments are usually this. The Bible is not reliable. We don't trust the Bible. It's written by people. People are not perfect. Therefore, we don't listen to the Bible. But here's what they're doing. Now, one thing you want to, you want to learn why the Bible's reliable. And I'm telling you, there is crazy screaming evidence about why the Bible's reliable. And you don't have reason to doubt it. But here's what I'm trying to say, a paradigm shift. Actually, when you're trying to, to tear down my worldview and the source of it, the Bible, you're claiming to have a superior source of truth yourself. And usually when I hear people say this kind of statement, it's usually coming from materialistic atheist. There is no God. Everything's in materials. It's time, space, matter. Everything's random. There's no rhyme or reason to anything. And there's no God, right? So this is their worldview. And so here's what I would do in love. I would enter into their atheism and begin to shoot holes through it by itself to create a doubt to then bring them to give them the gospel. So here we go. Hang with me on this. I would say in love. This is always in love. In love is important, Okay. But I would say, okay, so you're, an, you're a material atheist, right? Yeah, okay, there's no God. Okay, got it. All right. So, um, so you believe that there's no rhyme or reason, but you, you, you're pretty sure about science, right? I mean, basically, scientists, you would say in kind of a fun way, that's your prophets, right? Scientists. And science is like your source, and you trust it. And so, you know, if, if, if it happened in experiment one and two, it's going to happen in three. Did you know? But actually, and I'll ask this, then... But when you hear religion and faith, you put those in two different categories, don't you? Right? There's no, there's no faith in science, right? Right, yeah. Actually, that's wrong. Do you know science actually proves nothing in and of itself? Science is the interpretation of things that you're observing. Science doesn't actually prove anything. So, for instance, that's why you can have atheist science and you can have godly Christian scientists, like one of the co-founders of the DNA Okay, <laughs> like you get a Christian scientist and atheist scientists look at the same evidence and come out completely different because it's about faith. Everybody is practicing faith. The other thing is you're actually drawing upon an assumption that there's a God to even do science. 
What? Yeah, in other words, you can't have science without a God. What? Yeah, let me explain. When you do test one, test two, and then you say, therefore, test three is gonna be this, that's our statement in science, you are doing what we call the law of induction, and you are assuming that the future will be the same as the past. And the only way you can have that is if there's a God who is the same, what? Yesterday, today, and forever, that will actually carry out the laws of nature. Imagine that, laws have a lawgiver. But according to an atheistic, materialistic worldview, everything's random. You have no justification and assurance that the future will be the same as the past. I see drinking from fire hydrant faces right now. (laughs) And I knew that would happen because I remember the first times I heard this a few years ago from some certain Christians and stuff, and I'm like, what the? You know, okay, memorize verses. I got it. You know, it's like, (laughs) but I want to encourage you. This is not flowing out because I heard it one time in a sermon. I dedicate myself to this all the time. And so anyway, what am I doing? I'm like getting them to question. Like, okay, why am I saying all this? Like science is not some superior source of truth that doesn't have faith. You're practicing faith just like Christians. Can we just get on that same page? Can we start there? Everybody's using faith. Now here's another thing. Do you feel pretty, would you say you feel confident about the results of science? And they say, yeah, yeah. You just said you have faith in science. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You know what the Latin for confident is? With faith. Con fide. You have confidence. You have faith in science. Oh, that's, you know, no way. You know, and so what you're doing in love, why am I doing this to beat them up, make them look dumb? No, I'm doing this to say maybe the thing that you think is so flawless and, and superior is not as what you think it is. In fact, for instance, again, you would say that you pretty much trust science, right? I mean, pretty much flawless results, right? Yeah, okay. Okay, and I like this. Is, there's so many ways, guys, you can go about this. But like my, one of my favorite ones is I say, okay, when I was in, in school as an elementary kid, I remember learning the solar systems in science class. And I remember these, you know, all the planets. And, and what was the smallest planet? What was the name of it? Pluto. You know, in my kid's science class, in their books, you look for Pluto, it's not in their planets anymore. Here's what I'm trying to say. If we get planets wrong, don't you think we could have some other things going wrong? You see, and this is not to beat up science or scientists. There are godly Christian scientists and God is the God of science. Like it's all awesome. But the point is this, maybe it's, it's not superior. You're using faith and it's not as flawless as you think it is. Now, let me tell you the truth. And maybe the doubt is there in the worldview they have. And now they want to hear the truth. I, guys, I want to encourage you to get studying into these things and let's be prepared as best we can. We got to shoot some core fallacies. They're barriers from presenting the gospel to them. Now, let's finish this out. We're out of time. So after we do all this kind of stuff and however that goes and every conversation is different, is we got to eventually bring it back to Jesus and salvation, don't we? We got to bring it back to Jesus and salvation, the core of how to be saved. Pastor Doug's been saying this I'm going to keep saying it, right? The person and work of Jesus Christ is death is resurrection and salvation is a free gift by faith, not by works. We got to get back there. Again, Jesus with the woman at the well, he did this. Verse 10, he, he, he actually brought it out early. He says, if you knew who, he was speaking, who you're speaking with, talking about him, he's the savior. And he says, in the gift I'm offering you, that's free gift of salvation through him. And well, then the back of it, our last verse, verse 26 well, in verse 25, she says the Messiah, the Savior is coming. In verse 26, he comes back around to himself and he says, I who speak to you am he. We gotta get back to the gospel message. And then it's still not enough because knowledge won't save you. Receiving will save you. And so we need to finish a conversation with someone with a call. 
with a call to respond. Because we know that according to Mark 1.15, for instance, Jesus called people to a two-part decision, basically. It says, Jesus came saying, repent and believe in the gospel. Now, it's not recorded he does this with the woman in the well, but this tells us this was his MO message. And uh, John just didn't write it in that he said this to the woman and to the other Samaritans, but he clearly did because it's what he always said. And he called them to this two-part decision. So believe, right? That's to believe all the facts of the gospel, the person of Jesus and salvation through faith alone. And then secondly, to repent, which to own our sin and to be truly sorry for it. Ask him to forgive us and say, Lord, help us to fight sin from here on out. I'm gonna ask the ushers to come forward right now. We're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. But what we're gonna do in the midst of this, as we remember Jesus's sacrifice on the cross, is that I want us to to maybe pray one of these prayers as we're holding the elements together, as we're gonna pass them out. Yeah, go ahead and just pass those out now. And here's the prayer. For some of us, it's like, Lord, because of your sacrifice and the power that I now have by the Spirit, help my heart in evangelism. Lord, I'll just be honest with you. My heart, I don't think my heart's in the right place. One, because I don't even share the gospel because I must not really care that people are dying and going to hell. Lord, would you work on my heart? Break my heart for the lost? Maybe maybe there's others of us with the heart. It's like, Lord, I'm sharing the gospel, but if I'm honest, I'm doing it for selfish reasons. I'm not doing it because I actually love these people. Lord, would you work on my heart? Others of us, the prayer might be more in the area of, Lord, help my knowledge for evangelism. My heart, I think, is there, but I, I need to some, start getting into the scriptures more. And I need to start getting into the beliefs of unbelievers in my life more. So Lord, would you give me the power of your spirit? to dedicate myself to learning more so that I can respond to people's questions. So hold the elements. Let's just pray to the Lord, whatever God lays in your heart, and I'll come back up and we'll take it together. Let us be
Well, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, he broke it, and he passed it around to his disciples. He said, this is my body, it's broken for you. He took the same of a cup and he said, this is the blood of a new covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. Take this in remembrance of me. Let us take this together. Jesus, as we close out this morning, we first of all just want to give you the utmost praise and thanksgiving from the depths of our heart that we are so unworthy, we are such sinners, and yet you loved us so much to die for us on that cross. Jesus, we just worship you and give you the greatness that you deserve for that. And Lord, we also, in light of the passage and this idea that you're calling us to respond to people, Lord, we thank you that even though there's hard work to be done in this, there's no beating around the bush on that, but we thank you that because of the death that you died and the resurrection and the Holy Spirit now in us, we have the power and the ability to know this stuff and to be used of you to help other people come into your kingdom. And Lord, would you help us to do that this week? In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, as always, we have people who are willing to pray for you, and we have a prayer station on the map, as you can see on the screen. And so we invite you if you need prayer. I'm going to be up front. If you have any questions about something that was said today, uh, feel free to come on up. You are loved. You are dismissed.